Hi, I'm Glyn Fussell, and this is We Can Be Heroes. It's really important to me to uplift, inspire, and share these amazing stories so you as the listener at home can feel like you can do it too. I adore London. I think it's great. The thing that I gravitate to over here is that it's an English-speaking European country. Right. And the reason why that's important to me is I'm American. We're dummies. <laughs> Our education system did not make us learn different languages, which I am so embarrassed about. I wish I knew a language. However, the arts in Europe in general is a profession that is respected yeah. The only thing I don't like, particularly as a theater boy, the only thing I don't like is that y'all don't have playbills at your shows. I think it's really disrespectful. Right. When you go to a Broadway show, everybody gets a program that you don't have to spend $20 right. for. Everybody's picture and resume is in it. It's small, you know, and it's a, it's a small program. Yeah. But, like, it's just weird to me to go and see all these amazing artists and then you don't know who they are. Yeah. We work too hard for that. I don't like that. When I come over, I'll be lobbying for Playbill to get their asses over here. So you say when you come over, could could Billy Porter live in London? Yes. Child, I'm trying to live here now. Yes, I love that. <laughs> what do you think of the boys? What do you think of the menses? Oh, God. <laughs> Let's get to the real stuff. Listen. <laughs> Listen, is this that kind of podcast? Because well, this a, is all that we t- we talk about everything here. Because <laughs> nothing is off limits. My little juicy English countryside boys. <laughs> oh Lord Jesus, y'all got the little. It's like boys and wellies. Ooh, honey, the <laughs> booties. And so, what's so funny is that I have these two friends yeah. now, who I've had for a few years, and we were hanging out on Sunday and just sort of reminiscing about how we met and their, their husbands. These two are husbands. Yeah. And I met one first and then I met the second one at another place and I didn't know they were husbands. And so <laughs> we were at some club and the and and David had his booty out in some, I don't know, jock strap or something like that. And I was just like, oh my God, you English boys and your booties. And he turned around to say thank you, and then he recognized it was me. And we've been <laughs> and we've been friends ever since. So maybe that's my greeting. There you go. Maybe I should just greet all the yeah. English. You saw the booty before you saw London. I saw the booty before I saw. London. So I've been trying to get you on this podcast since we begun. Oh, wow. and I actually feel like we have royalty in the house right now. Oh, you're sweet. Thank Seriously, you. for for the work that I've done in my career, which. I kind of, I always feel like I'm very serious about fun. Um, mm-hmm. And my activism comes through the joy I give people. Of course. But meeting you, I feel like I'm sort of at the gates of queer utopia. Oh, you're so sweet. So I, I want to know, actually, what does queer utopia look like for Billy Porter? That is a really good question. I've never been asked that question before. Queer utopia would have to encompass the intersectionality of me being black first. And I've started having to add that to my speaking. Right. Because 
in America, the homophobia inside of the black community is so violent. And the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through is being put out by my own. Yeah. So the utopia would include all of us being simply able to exist freely and be left the fuck alone. Right. I don't understand it. I don't understand what we're doing. You call yourselves a free country. We call ourselves a de- democratic society. And yet we've spent over 250 years legislating people's humanity on a daily basis. I want to be fucking left alone. Period. Yeah. Get out of my get out of my girlfriend's wombs. Get out of my fucking bedroom. I'm not in yours. I think, you know, and the conversation for me politically, and you'll say, I mean, I go right to the politics. I'm totally political. I've been there. I've been political my whole life because I don't have a choice. I'm first generation post-civil rights movement. I'm 53 years old. I've only fought to exist, to simply exist, you know, and it's like we can't. Heal from the thing until we name the thing. Right. It's hard to name the thing when that thing that's been put on us is kind of nothing to do with us. It's coming from the outside. Yeah. When we're being attacked. And a lot of that, I feel that a lot of the attacking is coming from a fear that they don't even understand themselves. It's like, so it's just based on fear. And so you're just going to repeat history. We're not going to learn anything from it. Those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. I don't know what kind of history y'all learn over here, but I know we do not learn history in America. Mm. And that shit is on purpose because it's a power play. If you don't know the history, if the people don't know their history, then we have nothing that's grounding us. So it's very easy to then become followers. Yeah. You know, it's very convenient. And the older I get and the more engaged, I mean, I've always been engaged, but like as you grow older and as you live inside of the world, you get smarter. The inf- hopefully you get smarter. Hopefully yeah. you get better. But the information sort of gets in. There. You're like, what? I think you also begin to see the patterns. Yes. That's, that's what I mean. That's the thing. I mean, that's what I mean. Yeah, I'm 43 and I feel that in the last five years, I would say I've got angry. And and I think it's good. To yes. ca- we've got a right to be angry as queer people. And don't get it twisted. When the powers that be focus on our rage mm. as opposed to the information and yeah. the reason for the rage, that's silencing. Yeah, completely. Those are people trying to silence us. I was just having a conversation the other day as a creative person. You know, I'm a, I have a production company and da-da-da-da-da. There are, there are a couple of buzzwords in America that they use. 
politicization. You're politicizing it. Shut up is yeah. what they mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're because to politicize that. something is to speak truth to power. How dare you call us out on our bullshit? So you're trying to silence me. That's one way. The other way cre- creatively is, oh, it's too preachy. <laughs> right. I don't give a fuck. I'm preaching on purpose. Yeah. Because you're not hearing nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been 250 years and y'all are still doing the same shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I will preach. Yeah. I will not shut up. And and we have to re-engage in that way. Yeah. It's not, I don't need your acceptance. I don't need your tolerance. I fucking hate those two words. I don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. demand is respect. For my humanity, like I respect yours. You think I like you? Like, that's my thing. I don't like you either. Yeah, yes, yes. But I'm not spending my whole life trying to take your rights away. Yeah. What is going on? It's bonkers. It's actual madness. You know, and sometimes I just have to shut up because my rage gets a hold of me. And then I'm not clear, you know, so I try to, like, uh, you know, I'm trying to, don't yell, don't scream. Black teenagers are being shot through the doors of houses for ringing the wrong doorbell. Right. And I'm not supposed to scream. Yeah. It's wild. It's, it's wild. wild. It's really, it's a really and interesting it's, time. It's a, it's a fucking terrifying time and a time that we've seen. I think, you know, I feel like we take one step forward and 10 steps back. I was in, it was London Trans Pride, um, Two weeks ago. The day I got here. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm a trustee of a charity called Not Phase who do amazing work within the trans community. And I went and marched. And I, when I left, I was p- puzzled. And I couldn't figure out why. Because it was powerful. It was, re- it was a great day. But I was, I was pissed. And then I was kind of thinking, well, two weeks prior to that, it had been London Gay Pride where a million people came, where all the networks covered it, where there was partnering. And here we were with London Trans Pride, 35,000 people. Where were the allies? Where was our community? Where was the positive coverage? There's no coincidence there. No. None of it. And just so we're clear, the gay community is just as racist as the rest of the world. I'm a black gay man. I know what that feels like. White, gay, cisgendered men can be very selfish. I sat on a board in in New York City called the Empire State Pride Agenda. There were two people of color on this board. 25 years it was in existence. They started out for HIV, fighting for HIV you know, uh, medicine and stuff like yeah. that. Um, research and yeah. all that stuff. They got that going. Then the next thing, for the next 10 years, it was marriage equality. Do you know, as soon as marriage equality passed in 2015, and the next focus was on trans rights, those white motherfuckers closed up their checkbooks and the organization 25 years strong had to close 
To that I say, fuck y'all. Nobody's free till we're all free. You know why we're back here? After all those rights that we got? Because of that. Y'all don't care about nobody else but yourself. So the universe did this to remind you. Fuck y'all. It's all of us or none of us. Completely. Period. Mm. I'm sorry. You got me riled up. Well, you got me riled start. right on up, honey. Well, we're going to pivot. There's going to be activism throughout this, Billy. <laughs> Hold on, you know, everybody. Hold see, on. See, see, the kids don't know. I'm a, you know, everybody wants me to run for this and be this. Listen. I'm like, no. I was on, I was kind of wanting to talk about this because I was on the way here and I was listening to Broke Sweat. Yes. Banger. Yes. Thank Banger. you. Banger. I love it. I thank love all you. the music you're doing. Thank it's you. It's incredible. I love it because it's, it throws back to a lot of music I love, a lot of great soul and R&B music, but that feels deep-rooted in church. Yeah, I'm a but, gospel singer. But it's got <laughs> real great lyrics, great activism throughout it all. Because there's so many layers to the lyrics, but one is I haven't even started yet. I haven't even broke a sweat. And I think, you know, you said before you're 53. You've lived many lives. You've seen many things. Do you not doing all of these things do you not think to yourself fuck me I just want to sit down (laughs) I just want to rest yes and yes and I'm an artist right I get to make a living as an artist I've been one of the lucky ones and one of the blessed ones to only have to make a living as an artist I've never had a survival job yeah I asked for this. This comes with the territory. This was my dream when I was 11 years old. Everything that's coming to me is dreams fulfilled. But it's not an easy road because I think when I've, you know, and I've dug around in your history and it's not, you know, you talk about not breaking a sweat, but. Jesus, you should be dripping because it's not been easy. The route that you've taken, and you know, are many routes of artists, full stop, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you add being queer, being black, being non-compromising, you know, playing with gender, all of those things. Was there ever a point where you think, just maybe I just compromise a, a fraction here? Well, let me talk to you about that. You know, for context... Yeah. I was told by allies Mm. and haters alike that my queerness would be my liability. And it was for decades. Yeah. They were right for decades. There was a compromise at the beginning of my career. Yeah. I went to drama school. I learned how to be straight in drama school. They beat the faggot right out of me. In in drama school? Of course. This is 1987, honey. Okay, yeah. You know, it's like the only archetypes these white people had were James Earl Jones yeah. as the patriarch, Denzel Washington as the sex symbol, and Eddie Murphy as the genius clown. That's all they knew. Right. 
So in retrospect, I can go back to this drama school that traumatized me and go, oh, they were actually trying to make me marketable. I spent the first 25 years of my career trying to be perceived as straight enough so I could eat. So please, please understand that there was a time when I was trying to do that. Yeah. My first album, Untitled, on A&M Records in 1997. Go look at it. It's on, it's on, it's on, uh, all the platforms. It's on all the platforms. Now, <laughs> they couldn't find it a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we don't know who has the rights to that. <laughs> then I won an Emmy, and all of a sudden, my shit was on all the platforms. Right. So they found it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny how things bubble up. <laughs> yeah, funny how you find <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, you can look at those music videos. You can listen to that music. It was very R&B, very, very like, croonery R&B at the time. And I was good at it. Do you- did you take all of those compromising moments, all of those haters? All do, do you? Because in life, I've always kind of pop it in the back pocket. I pop that. You know, I'm going to use that. I'm going to. I'm going to show you wrong. Yeah, I mean, yes. I think it was more. You know, there were so many other things going on. You know, the AIDS crisis, for example. Mm. I was just in the middle of trauma. Right. Everything was just trauma. So I was just trying to survive, right? So 30 came around. I had done a couple of films. My record deal imploded. I moved to Los Angeles to try my hand at the film and television thing. They were not having it at all. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me because creatively it forced me to go deeper yeah i knew that it was going to be creative i knew whatever it was that i was doing it was going to be creative and i extracted my ego from the need to be famous or you yeah. know because that was also based on trauma yeah. that was based on oh i grew up in the pentecostal church if i'm famous and i can you know buy my mother a house and you know, be on the cover of magazines and be rich and famous, then somebody will love me and will forget that I'm gay and that will go away. So there was that part that I also had to live through. So by the time I got to my early 30s, I ended up going to screenwriting school at UCLA because somebody said, if you, you know, Bruce Cohen, a friend of mine, I I met with him because I just couldn't get arrested and he... Uh, won the Oscar for American Beauty as a producer. He's a friend of mine. So, like, he was like, Billy, you're so special and nobody knows what to do with you and you're going to have to show them and, you know, you're going to have to create it for yourself because you're going to have to create your own lane. And I heard that so many times and it felt like a cop-out. Right. You know, but this time I was like, you might be right. So I I went to the screenwriting school and I started writing And, you know, the first thing they say is write what you know. If I write what I know, nobody will want to hear it. I'm a black gay man. But I started doing that. And it cracked. And I also did a book, this workbook called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And it's a 12-week workbook. And it's the excavation of the 
creative spirit that's inside of all of us. And so as a creative person, I was already there. So it helped me go deeper. It helped me ask myself questions about, well, what is it that you really want to do? And, you know, there was an exercise where it's blurts and you're supposed to just blurt out the people who work in the spaces that you want to work in, who you admire. So I wrote all these names down. You're supposed to write write like 20, 20 names. 10 or 20 names. And so you don't read all of this stuff and it's morning pages and you write these morning pages every day and it's the it's like stream of consciousness morning pages and you write three pages longhand every day and it seems like tedious work. It works. Everything that I wrote in these morning pages 23 years ago, I am living right now. Wow. And I... A year later, you're supposed to wait and then read, you know, read what you want later about what the truth is that comes out of you in your subconscious. You know, the people who I admired were not like, you know, the superstars. They were the visionaries. Yeah. It was like the Oprah's and the Quincy Jones's and the Ryan Murphy's and the George C. Wolves. and And I was like, oh, Tony Kushner, you know, like... Okay, how am I going to get to that? Because people just think I'm a clown over here. So that's very interesting because the next, another line in your song, I'm tired of asking for their permission. Turn it off. Those days are done. Winners write their history, which is exactly what you did. They told me this could never happen. (laughs) They told me it could never happen. And I never believed them. And I also surrendered to whatever it is that it was supposed to be. Yeah. Like, I just surrendered. And when I started writing, I was like, ooh, I like this. Yeah. I get to be, I, like, I was waiting for other people to tell my story. No, I'll tell it. Like, I'm, I'm the last of a generation of people who were taught to be brilliant interpreters of other people's material. And wait for permission. The kids nowadays, they have the internet. The, the, the one thing I like about social media is that it has empowered yeah. people to believe in themselves. Right. I love that part of it. Now, the rest. everybody ain't able. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everybody ain't able. Yeah, delusion. However. It's an illusion. Right. However, it was that. And it was like, and, and the second part of that was I took myself, I realized I had to take myself out of the masculinity Race and gang. Yeah. I just thought, I'm over here trying to be masculine when, in fact, what does it matter? Yeah, completely. Well, look, I want to talk about your history. You wrote yours. Are you ready for this? Hold on to your chair. Hugely successful actor, singer, writer, director, producer, activist. You've won Grammys, Tonys, Emmys, and you've done it all by understanding that you can't be anybody else. You can only be yourself. Yes. So what, much like your song Children, what, what do we need to let the children know? What time it is. See, here's the thing. We've all been raised to believe that blood family is the most important. Mm. Family is the most important thing to existence on this earth. 
I do believe that. Now, the caveat to that is there are many different kinds of family structures. For many of us in the queer space, we've had to choose our families. Actually, not had to, because that sounds like a negative. We've been blessed yeah, yeah. to be able to choose our own families. Absolutely. And if there's a message that I want to get out to the people, we have to help our young people and everybody change the frame of mind. What do you mean by that? If your mama and daddy are going to put you out because you're queer and they can't love you for who you are, fuck them. Yes. They don't deserve you. Period. Yeah. That's hard. I understand how hard that is. Mm. I get it. I had to do it. I had to do it at 16. What does the other side look like, though? They're all back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're all back and they're on my terms. My religious mother asked me the other day, you know, because she has a neurological condition and she's in a wheelchair and she's in a nursing home and she hasn't been out of the nursing home in three years because of, you know, COVID and all of that mm. stuff. So last month she got to come out to see my concert oh my at the Beacon Theater. And then she got to come to my unveiling of my Madame Tussauds. And so we were sitting in there and she looks at me and my sister and she's like, because I was the uh, Grand Marshal at Gay Pride. And she was like, can I come to Gay Pride? And we were like, no, Ma, you can't. <laughs> you know, like that transition from you're going to hell. Yeah. To can I come to Gay Pride was not quick. It wasn't, you know, you had to take control of that. And I, I've, I relate to that. And I think... God, it's annoying, isn't it, that we just want our parents to be proud of us so much, but that's that's life. And I'm, you know, my mum. It it took a while with my family as well. And my it, my mum will now say, "You being gay, you being queer, she'll even acknowledge queer, is the best thing that ever happened to our family." That's what my mother said to yeah. me. Yeah, and she. I remember my mum said to me the week I was down there. She said. I get to wear costume jewelry to breakfast now. (laughs) (laughs) And drink breakfast wine, which is rosé, by the way. And I'm like, if I could do that for you, Mom, we're good. It is. I I mean, (laughs) you know, I have a cousin who is the pastor of a church. And, you know, he's been a pastor for 30 years. And he, you know, called me out of the blue. I hadn't spoken to him in like 25 years. Wow. You know, and he said, Billy, we didn't do right by y'all. The religious community does not do right by the LGBTQ plus community, and that has to change. And I just want you to know that I have a gay and lesbian ministry in my church because you taught me. And I... Change is possible. It is possible. Thing. My phrase is the change has already happened. The change. That's exactly. my phrase. That's what. That's the phrase that I'm trying to get people to talk about. Because 
all we see, all we hear about is the negative, and there's so much positive happening. Listen, isn't the best feeling in the world being part of change, being part of the change? Yeah, you know, in in however way that you do it, whether that's just showing up, you don't even need to fully understand it at the beginning. Just show just up, show up, show the fuck up, smile, show us that you're here for us, and you're part of the change, and it feels. It feels correct. It feels right because it's the future. Yes. We don't want to live in the past. The change has already happened. The reason for the severity of the pushback is because mm. you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, you yeah. can slow down the progress, but you can't stop the progress. Yeah. Y'all can slow it down. It's okay. That's historic, though. Yeah. That's what, that's what I mean about, like... We've gone too far now. The circle of life is like this, and it always will be like this. Yeah. So... You know, I was watching your Emmy speech last night, crying. You know, I'm I'm a crier. I am too. <laughs> I, I think it's a great We're both thing. Teary eyed now, yeah, right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there were you said something that I just found like literally just took my breath away. Um, there's so many things that you say that that are that that powerful, but this was one of them, and it was talking about your artistry. We are the people that get to change the hearts and minds of the people who live on this planet. And, you know, that makes you look at art and creativity in such a different way and that it can change the world. And has. Yeah. Always. Yeah, completely. How many times did you see a black president in film or television before we had a black president? Yes. That's happened a lot in America, actually. When you're watching shows now, we are casting forward how we want the world to be. Correct. And that's what art gets to do, which is why we're the ones who are attacked first. Why do you think we're attacked first? I don't know if you're attacked over here first, but we're attacked first. Yeah. When there's a peddled narrative that's very easy to wheel out, you know, whether that be that black women are angry or that trans people are weak it's very easy to do that right and i think that that's the power of storytelling yeah the power of activism through storytelling art creativity is that you get to rewrite that that narrative yeah so when you're picking roles or when you're just picking moves in life how considered is your activism in that it is a hundred percent a part of the choice and that came in that valley period when I said I, you know, I had to go back to school. I couldn't get arrested. I did all of those things. And I realized, and I don't want to be a clown. Yeah. I remember being in the revival of Greece on Broadway, 1994. Rosie O'Donnell, a then unknown Megan Mullally from Will and Grace. Oh, wow. And all of us. We're in that show. Who was playing which role? I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure this out, Billy. Megan played... Uh, Rizzo. No. Frenchie. No. Uh, Rosie played Rizzo. Oh, okay, good. Megan played... Uh, Freddie, my love. I wish you more. Rizzo. I can't remember her name. Marty. Marty, yes. Woo! She put, you Gay better points. work it out. Gay you points. better work it out. She goes to see shows. <laughs> <laughs> and I was hired reluctantly because I'm a black man. I didn't give a fuck about Grease. Yeah. I don't care about Grease. Yeah. It was never my favorite show. It was ne- I didn't understand the point. I went to drama school. I'm a very serious actress and model. Um, and I was like, I, I came here to do serious stuff. 
So I was cast as the teen angel. They let me do my own arrangement, which was a major thing at 24 years old. You know, my manager, Bill Butler, who is was my agent at the time who I've been with for 32 years was like, you have to do this. They're crafting this part. It was Tommy Toon, blah, 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 blah. So I do this gospel arrangement, this nine minute and 50 second gospel arrangement of beauty school dropout. It's amazing. I go to the first day of rehearsals and the costume rendering is me in a white space suit with 14 inches of orange rubber hair on my head. Come again. A white space suit. (laughs) With 15 inches of orange rubber Dairy Queen hair on my head. And I had to prance around the stage like a little Richard Automaton on crack, knowing that my career would be ruined by this. At the same time, I went to see a preview of Tony Kushner's Angels in America, Mm. literally at the theater that butted up against mine. representation is key. I sat there and I watched Jeffrey Wright play the only black character in the in this epic drama. Seven hours. He was black. He was queer. He was a nurse. He was the moral compass of all of these swirling, crazy white people around him. I was like, that's who I am. I had never seen anything like right. it. And then I wept because I knew that I was in such a pigeonhole that nobody would ever see me like that. What did you do? I extracted myself from the whole thing. I walked away from my Broadway career. I was like, if y'all can't see me as a human being, that's all I'm being, that's all I'm asking for is a three dimensional human being. When I demanded that the work dried up for over a decade. Wow. That was 99 to 2013, I was not on Broadway. From 1999, and y'all know how talented I am, and I will say it out loud now. You know how talented I am. I did not work on Broadway from 1999 till Kinky Boots in 2013. So how good did it feel to come back playing Lola and Kinky Boots? It was redemptive. (laughs) Yeah. I told y'all I'm not a fucking clown. Yeah, right. I told y'all. And the first job that I got coming back to the theater in New York was the first revival of Angels in America. Uh, Where Tony Kushner, and nobody saw, you know, where I went to the audition and, 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 and they gave me an audition because I've been in the business and it was like a courtesy audition. Because nobody thought I could, you know, everybody had decided that I didn't, I was a singer and I was a clown and that was it. And I had reached my glass ceiling and, you know, it was very patronizing. And I had to beg for this audition. And I begged and I begged and I waited and I waited. They saw the world for this part. And they wouldn't see me. And I had done a residency at the Public Theater with George Wolf, working on Carolina Change. And Tony knew me. And he saw me at the gym. And he was like, have you had your audition yet? No. He called. I got the audition that day. My bill was like, I think you have to do four scenes. Yeah, he was so, he was like, I was trying to, calm down. There's one role in the canon of creative history that looks like me. This play is 20 years old. It's incumbent upon me to already know this shit. And trust me, I no, I'm ready. Every fucking word. Yeah. And I went in the next day, did four scenes from memory 
with the papers in my hand. Oh, come on. From memory. And the minute I opened up my mouth, I saw the whole room lean forward. An hour later, they kept me in that room for an hour. Tony Kushner gets up from the table with tears streaming down his face, hugs me in a bear hug and says, you're the voice I heard when I wrote this play 25 years ago. Wow. I said, I know, Tony. That's what I've been trying to tell y'all for 25 yeah, years. Yeah, I've, I've been here. I've been trying <laughs> to tell you that. You know, so that was the that was the shift. That was the flip theatrically. And then Kinky Boots came. So, yes, the intention to get work, going back to your question, mm-hmm. the intention to infuse my activism into my work started because of Angels in America. Wow. It's a long answer, but... But it, it was it's a worth great it. answer. <laughs> if you Google, this is astonishing. I'm, I'm sure you know this, but if you Google your name, the most searched question here in the UK is, why does Billy Porter wear dresses? Fact. That blew my mind. Why do you not? Right. <laughs> yes. It's just bonkers. I don't understand the question. Why does Billy Clothes? Porter... Also, I can't imagine... That thousands and thousands of people saw you in shows, you know, or have seen you at the Met Gala, you know, wherever you are. And that's the question they asked. Who's feeding us that? It's it's absurd to me. Straight, Mm. toxic homophobia. You have no idea what it's like in America, particularly from black people. See, I took myself out of the masculinity game. Yeah. That makes toxic masculine men really triggered. It's triggering. Clothes do not have gender. Yeah. And when women stop wearing pants, then I'll maybe have a conversation about stop wearing dresses. Fuck that. It's bonkers, right? What are you saying? Listen, I I built everything I've ever done, my, my clubs, and it's all about ripping that up, tearing that apart. But also... We're having fun. Like, we're not... You can You can also, by the way, wear a dress and it isn't politically loaded. No. Just it might look kind of grey on it me. It looks My ass me. looks amazing. Yes, it does. So I'm going to carry on wearing It's a piece of clothing. <laughs> these women show up to these red carpets in suits and nobody bats a fucking eye. Right. Right. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Like, I've taken myself out of that conversation. And, you know, <laughs> what's so funny? You know, the, the, the buzzword in America is, you know, to shame me with, in the black community, well, is this your king? Is this your... I'm not trying to be your king. Yeah. I don't give a fuck about your king. Yeah. How, the audacity to not give a fuck fuck about whether you think I'm masculine enough to exist on this earth. Fuck you. Yes. And the thing that you and the and the thing that you touched on earlier is with the trans community is trans equals weak. It's even it's gay equals weak. Yeah. Yeah. They are so surprised when I come out my face. Fuck you. Yeah. Now what? Makeup and an expletive? Yes. <gasps> Makeup and I you're know. and you're aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I know, it? I know. I'm so confused. Try me. I'm so confused. So how many dresses? <laughs> how many dresses were there on the Black Mona Lisa tour? You've just finished that, right? 
Yes, the Black Mona Lisa tour had... Well, and here's the thing, too. I'm going to answer that question, but here's the thing. Even when I'm wearing pants. Yeah. It's like, I'm not just wearing dresses. I'm doing a non-binary... Well, this isn't just a pant, my babe. This isn't just a pant. This gen- is a, a look. Yes, but I'm it's doing a, a gender-free... Yeah. Like, gender-free... You're expressing yourself. Yeah, Imagine did, that. But even when I'm wearing pants... <laughs> that was crazy to They're me. coming for me. Yeah. Even when I'm, wear- I'm wearing a bell bun, I will literally stand... Like this, and be like, it's pants, you motherfucker. It's collots. <laughs> right. I'm wearing collots. I think it's, I mean, it's a shame that this is a podcast because we both look ferocious. We today. look fierce today, y'all. <laughs> we do look so good. I was like, shit, I'm going to be speaking to Billy Porter. What do I wear? <laughs> I was going to wear my, my tunic too, but oh, uh, hey ho. So, how many, I want to know how many looks on the Black Mona Lisa tour. And are you going to do, is that, when's that tour coming back? Um, okay, so the Black Mona Lisa tour, I had six changes. Good. And That's good. That's it, bold. It just depended. I had seven different looks. It depended on, like, okay, so it was in different sections. So I started, and I started with children. And so that was where the dress would happen. Yeah. If there was a dress that on a particular night... The dress would happen right at the top because I'd say been there, done that, worn that dress. Written by Emily K and Emily K and Jay Thurble. She yeah, she loves you. Yeah, She's I a love of mine. them both. She, I yeah, love them. Yeah. So then, you know, I had suit, you know, like ruffly suits. I had my kinky boots moment where I wore the boots and then uh, uh, the the shirt with a tie and then a jacket because that was the last look for Charlie in the in the musical. Then I, I I would swap in and out. So I would say I had like three dresses in rotation, okay. but I also had like pieces, a, pieces like yeah. a suit with yeah. a long train and pants. Yeah. So like you know, and things that were like you interesting. Things up. Yeah, if things were that were interesting, yeah. and like I said, uh, a gender-free and theater, darling, honey, always they were pieces, girl. Yeah, and I'm coming <laughs> over here. Is it the Black Mona Lisa tour of Volume One, darling? Great. It's coming to we the need UK. More, we need more volumes. I've got one final question. That is the most. Are stupid. we almost done? We're almost done. I could talk to you for. Oh my god! Ever. We have to hang and we out. We will. We'll do it off record. Yeah, we'll we have to hang dinner. out, child. We have to um, have dinner. So. Let's rewrite our own Google search. Obviously, why does Billy Porter wear dresses? If you... Because I want to. Because I, because I can. <laughs> because I look amazing. Yeah. But I want to know, if, if we put into Google Billy Porter is, how do you want to be remembered? Magical. This has been magical. It's been amazing. I've loved it. Thank You're you. You're being I rushed have out of the room. And, um, I have other appointments, yeah, darling. I'm trying busy, to get. She's busy. She's booked. She's booked and busy. Fuck you, Broadway. Look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.